there's an issue of institutional memory right so going back to the tech angle even if a state implements a great tech product right let's say on accounting or on some procurement etc through a vendor it's it often doesn't get institutionalized outside of the life cycle of the rfp hello and welcome to the season 2 of understanding the future I am your host Punit Gandhi and Climate Center for Cities is excited to bring to you a podcast about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, sustainability and innovation. We will talk to experts working on ground as well as in the top management of government and non-governmental organizations to better understand how the field looks like in future. This will help us in preparing to enable climate actions as well as gauge the type of skill sets and jobs that would be required in future to solve complex challenges. If you are listening to it for the first time, do tune into season 1. Hello everyone and welcome to the season 2 of Understanding the Future. I am your host Punit Gandhi and the first time we have two guests with us on our podcast. We have Vivek Anandan Nair, head of ethics and partnerships at Janagra Center for Citizenship and Democracy and another guest we have with us is Vyar Vachana, associate manager for advocacy at Janagra Center for Citizenship and Democracy. Welcome to the show Vivek and Vachana. Glad to be here Punit. So before we start with complexity of city systems, uh, let's let's try and focus on what is the kind of uh, where this impacts, and that is citizens. And we talk about quality of life. So are we looking at any benchmarks in case of quality of life that our citizens should have? That we do this kind of uh, we understand the complexity of the city systems. yeah let me try and have a crack at that and uh, in fact it's uh, interesting that you're starting with the quality of life of citizens so you might have uh, noticed the i i would like to call it a nuance but let me put it this way the strangeness in the title of my designation which is head asics and partnerships now partnerships is something that pretty much everybody gets but what is asics right that's an abbreviation for the annual survey of india city systems it's one of the flagship uh, uh, knowledge products on urban governance systems in india i am putting it in air quotes and calling it urban governance and, and there's a reason why let me explain that that's it has deep linkages with what what uh, you just asked us right now right there are benchmarks for quality of life and those benchmarks have existed for a very long time right and some people define these benchmarks as let's say the service levels that we that we see in cities be it the quality of water that you get the amount of time you get that be it electricity be it roads footpaths air pollution and a bunch of other indicators right and from time to time we've always had multiple efforts trying to first benchmark it and more often than not it's it's uh, it's been essentially which is the best you go out you look at a large city and you figure out you know hey is a city in another country or within india that looks brilliant so let's measure everything against it or there are several other way, ways in which people do it and then reports come out i mean you will i'm sure be also aware of the recent effort done by the government of india itself which is the ease of living index and yeah. if you look at pretty much every other human resource based consulting organization they have their own because a lot of the salary benchmark comes from the quality of life in these cities right so yeah. all of these have been done and there are uh, 
I I wouldn't comment on the benchmark. So Vachana, you can jump in and talk about what the benchmark of a good life should be. But uh, I'll talk about ASICs and why is it that Janagra tries to look at what we call city system. So our hypothesis has been that whatever quality of life aspirations a city has, yeah. right? Be it the fact that we want 100% public transportation or let's say that's a mobility outcome that somebody articulates. Uh, now, naturally, that is something that comes from the, the political economy, which is pushed by the people. And then the administrative system sort of implements that and makes it happen. Uh, now, in this whole piece, while people articulate the end of the rainbow sort of metric, which is we want better public transportation, we want better parks. What we've always felt is missing in the narrative is how do you even get to the end of the rainbow? Right. So there's a there's a big if you look at it as an iceberg, and this is something that is a go-to for Janagra. Let me go to it uh, once again, which is what is visible on top, right? Is the quality of life that we experience as citizens. Leave alone benchmark. Everybody has their own. Somebody, you know, who, who goes to probably is uh, used to visiting Europe a lot, aspires to some let's say Nordic countries for quality of life. Some others would look at a Paris. Somebody looks at a US. So I'm not looking at the benchmarks for now, but what we see and experience is above the iceberg. What holds it up, holds it afloat, is what we in, in Janagra call city systems. These are uh, the underlying and for most citizens, invisible, almost invisible processes that allow for these quality of life aspirations to be delivered. Now, what, what does that mean? That simply means what are the laws, what are the policies, what are the institutions and institutional frameworks what are the transparency and accountability mechanisms and how well are citizens participating in all of this, right? Together, these systems are what help any government deliver on sectoral quality of life aspirations, which is, which is what we uh, started doing somewhere, I think in 2013, correct me if I'm wrong. So like I said, long answer to your uh, short question on the benchmark itself, but uh, from Janagra side, this may sound interesting, but we've rarely looked at across the board benchmarks of what quality of life should be. We've looked at benchmark of how governance system should be, okay. which should allow for whatever quality of life aspirations that particular city has, right? For instance, the, life, the quality of life aspirations for somebody living in a Bengaluru is going to be in some ways drastically different from somebody who's living in a Lucknow or somebody who's, who's living in, let's say a municipality called Jatani, which is in, in Odisha vastly different. Some things may overlap, like everybody needs clean air, clean water. But apart from the basics, a lot of things uh, overlap. Right. So like I said, from Janagara's perspective, I wouldn't want to comment so much on the, the, the quality of life benchmarking per se, but focus more on how do we get there? Do we have the systems and processes in place that help us get there in the first place? Otherwise, I, I keep uh, sometimes drawing this analogy. The, the best intentions into the existing way we work is, is similar to throwing water, uh, not throwing, putting water in a leaky bucket because your system is not in place. Your ability to deliver on those quality of life uh, benchmarks, so to say, are, are quite uh, restricted. Yeah, so I'm saying I'm going to stop with that. Let, let's see if Vachana has a, has a different take on it. No, I actually agree with Vivek and I would like to reiterate that point. So uh, the benchmark, I mean, looking at the benchmark would be actually relative from person to person, from city to city. Uh, but what that runs across all of these uh, verticals, the sectors essentially, is how um, the governance systems and mechanisms in place. So I would just take a little bit time to 
detail that you know the framework uh, that we look at uh, the same city systems lens that Vivek just um, mentioned. So what in the city systems framework that Janagraha has come up with has four components. There is one component of urban planning and design where we essentially look at whether how cities plan, plan, uh, implement, and enforce these plans, and what is the citizen participation element in in in, in planning and designing for the city. Second is uh, with regard to the capacities of the cities. This is in terms of three respects, financial, human resources, and usage of information technology for process efficiency. Third is about how empowered are our city political leaders, right? The mayors and the councils. Um, and fourth is pretty much straightforward. It is uh, citizen participation, transparency, and accountability. So these four components need to essentially come together for a city to deliver good quality of life. So unless this is fixed and sorted, it's it's almost impossible. It's impossible for the city to deliver a good quality of life. So these nuts and bolts essentially need to be fixed. No, absolutely, I agree. Like these, uh, these are some major components, and when we look at it, they look as general as possible, but that is where we also need to focus on that. How can this generalize things be as specialized in their own niches? Uh, and But one thing, one thing that has happened is I've started working in urban development for almost two years now. I never knew about urban development. I do not belong to that field from academic point of view as well. But in two years, one thing I've understood is it is complex. Everything is interrelated. Everything, each thing affects the other thing. But I have never been able to define it, how everything is so complex, so interconnected and so together, but everything is still in silos. So how would you define urban complexity, if I have to ask you that? I don't know whether to call it a million dollar question, but uh, let me put it this way. Urban complexity, the, the definition... Uh, there are lots of funny things in the way we see urban today, which I think will help answer the question itself. So let me start by giving a few anecdotes. Maybe that will make it a little interesting. For, uh, let's, let's start with something that, that's in the Constitution, right? The 74th uh, Amendment, which, which sort of brought to life uh, a vast number of uh, what today are popularly uh, referred to as urban local bodies. In pretty much every other government document, that's what it's called. But the, the fact is that uh, nowhere in the constitution does it say urban local bodies. So I'm saying that's complexity number one. It is urban local self-government, which today is popularly referred to as urban local bodies. So there is complexity uh, that arises out of how it was envisioned and how it is being administered. So from the imagination of a government of a place, it has now become in, 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 I mean, if you go outside some of the big centers, it, it is almost like an execution arm of the state government and in a lot of ways, the central government, right? Because yeah. you, you haven't realized the vision of a true governance at that uh, government at that place. It's a body. That's uh, saying that, that I just wanted to put this out there as a, as a starting off point, right? So there is complexity that arises because of how it's envisioned announced. Now, the second layer of complexity is this, that, when we often say urban, and this is a slightly more tactical, technical one, but I wanted to touch upon this in the uh, irrespective. There are plenty of people who, who work on what is urban, right? There is a definition that we have, which is a statutory thing that every state is allowed to choose, which is, a, which is an urban center, which is not. Then there is something that the census does. Then there is a vast amount of research 
which actually tries to define what is urban in the first place right apart yeah. from the state definitions of 25% no 75% male main working families etc and the and the density there are i think uh, and correct me if i'm wrong was now there are reports from idfc institute which were talking about the fact that india could be as much as 65% urban already right so uh, and that's because if if you start looking at the the economy in in nuts and bolts you'll start to see that a lot of people have already shifted out of uh, work lines that are directly linked by agriculture right yeah. and then there are other examples some of which we've uh, we've we've uh, quoted in our own works extensively which is if you take for instance mexico's definition of what, what urban is and apply it to places in india i think places like kerala uh kerala correct me if i'm wrong vasna could be as much as 95% urban already by some definitions uh, of urban that that float yes. around yes right so i'm saying there is another layer of conf- complexity which comes from what is urban what is not urban yeah and directly linked directly linked with that is is this big big challenge which adds i think it's it's one of the biggest reasons for this complexity is that urban is a space it's an area but it is defined uh, it is defined and governed as a bunch of silos so the governance of a space for instance the, de- the 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 space that you call out right now is an urban local body it has to have its own government but within that space that supposedly has an its own government there is the central government's arm that is trying to operate some parts of quality of life for people there is the state government that is operating multiple through either its own departments or it, or what is known as parastatal which is state largely state owned state run entities then there is bits and pieces of the urban local body or urban local self government itself so there are multiple let's say all three layers of government acting within that same space using their own independent protocols independent laws policies with rarely any way of being able to coordinate action in a manner that synergizes efforts money time etc and uh, like i said this third piece is where uh, is is where the biggest amount of complexity stems from i am not even going to the the political side of it which also comes from the fact that the, the delimitation has been done in a way that the representation in the parliament of india in state legislatures is not it's pretty much not uh, mirroring how how many people live in urban centers in india today so the voice of the urban people in democracy is a little stifled and which which also shows up in the in in the way we make somewhat lopsided policies that don't favor uh, urban as much as they favor rural right we are we're still i think tending a little towards india lives in it in its villages story which which uh, i think is has changed significantly since the statement first came out right so this these are all these are all reasons why it's incredibly complicated today this uh, space called urban and i think i also try to answer your question in a way by saying that it's next to impossible for anybody to define urban it's only possible for you to read the multiple layers and figure out which entity you are working with whether to solve a problem or to define a problem and then try and see it from their particular lens and their world view and in in some ways overlap all these other views to say that okay if this is how you're trying to fix urban or to figure out what is wrong in urban let me apply your lens then let me come in with other angles the ones that i called out and see you know how how those angles add to either the the problems in 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 the diagnosis or for the solution so i mean that's that's one way i would uh, suggest it as opposed to the easy I mean, there is no easy way to do it let's be honest i absolutely agree with it and uh, what do you have any thoughts on this 
No, I mean, I, I actually agree with uh, Vivek. I have nothing much to add, just to say that. Um, so, I mean, what often is a constraint in, in, in how, uh, you know, um, urban governance essentially work is also that absence of a place-based approach, right? Like, yeah. like what essentially Vivek indicated is the, the severe fragmentation of governance that happens. So when we see you, urban local body as an administ administer, administration unit, there are several other bodies, avenues of spending that uh, that happens in a city. Now, for example, if we take Bangalore, so there is there is a state government, central government schemes, central government bodies like National Highway Authority of India, etc., coming into picture. There are state government departments. There are city civic agencies, and all of them spend, say, for a city of Bangalore. I mean, Bangalore could be any other city as well, right? And we are unable to track what is a total expenditure on infrastructure for a city. We are unable to track what is the utilization of assets on a city. And when these two pictures are unavailable, we are unable to. We even don't know the GDP of a city. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Which is what so runs city is not the country yes, and the world. Yes. So city in India is not identified as an economic unit at all, and that's a big problem, right? Yeah. And and anyways, at the end of the day, wherever we are, um, you know, um, cities are perhaps one of the most complex systems that has been created by human beings, right? So <laughs> it is indeed complex. It is indeed complex. And it's very it's very difficult to understand and layer it out, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, that, that's- yeah. In a lighter vein, just to say, people have spent their entire PhD is just trying to define what urban is. <laughs> so to be able to answer it in a podcast is, a, is I guess, reaching, reaching a little bit too much, I guess. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I think that was still quite uh, comprehensive enough for at least people to know who do not know much about this. And coming to points that both of you raise, one is about tracking of different activities and another is of silos. Uh, I think a lot of things are being pushed on those lines uh, for digitization because for digitization point of view, when citizen looks at any service, there is multiple silos that have been breached that, okay, this there is a process that comes into place that this document has gone from this department to this department, and then this department and eventually it is coming back to you. Uh, so digitization is one way. I do believe silos can be break it, uh, broken down, but not always. Uh, any thoughts on that? Any, any other ways do you think we can help break these silos as well as track those things? Because this also helps us in tracking things in a better way, analyzing things in a better way, and making it go forward yeah yeah so that's a that's a good question i uh, i am a firm believer of the fact that uh, injecting a healthy amount of technology into whatever it is that we are doing however it is that we are doing has had uh, the potential to drastically change uh, outcomes for the better right and and this this is a, i'm making a very broad broad uh, statement this applies to all levels of government, urban, rural, wherever you think of it, it comes there. And at the same time, also recognize that technology is a tool, yeah. right? And, and for the tool to be effective, you have to consider what it takes for the ecosystem, which operates around the tool to be able to grasp the tool and use the tool for its intended reasons, right? So uh, India for, I'm saying, let me not say India, across across several states over the last few years that at least I've been very heavily invested in the urban development story. I've seen governments taking big leaps of faith in trying to inject a heavy amount of technology uh, based processes to, to get yeah. things working. Right. And there are several successful stories and there are perhaps a, a larger number of things that don't work out. 
yeah, right and and I'll, uh, let me quote one example which which happens in state after state right uh, state after state invests in in you know what what can be loosely defined as an erp system for the state yeah an enterprise resource planning system while it's not really a resource planning system at least what they're trying to do is digitize a bunch of things for instance a citizen has to fill up a form it goes somewhere it it happens automatically and then you know there is limited uh, face time that has to be done and it's been deployed let's say across the state at scale now a lot of these times there are other issues that crop up because of what i said right when you when you look at the uh, tool as a blunt instrument without recognizing that for it to fit into the system you need a bunch of ecosystem changes and what are those ecosystem changes at the heart of it is the people and and how you get those people to use these system recognize the the challenges for instance recognize the challenges of somebody who was hired let's say in an nulm similar to an nulm scheme in the 19 uh, let's say late 1990s 1998 or 2000 into a government somewhere let's say in odisha they were hired when they were 22 years old they are still in the system because schemes like nulm continue yeah they were never trained on anything they were never told what else to do but at that time they were hired as an uh, let's say a computer operator because it was pretty new since yeah. since then they they've been trying to get a hang of whatever it is, is is thrown at them but now if we inject technology and get that person who's sitting at some small you know uh, ulb which is let's say the tiniest sort with a population of let's say i don't know 50 650 60000 people it's not it's not a large town mm-hmm. how do you get that person to be able to interact efficiently with the piece of technology that you have there yeah are they capable of doing it or are they not capable of doing it so what i think i've seen progressively happen over time is that the is that the chasm between what our big cities can do and what our small cities can do by injecting a healthy level of technology is only widening yeah because in bangalore if you have a great command and control system bangalore has the ability to crowd in the sort of talent that is needed even within government yeah. be it through body shopping from the likes of you know uh, human resource agencies or the big force for the government that have money they are able to somehow use that technology as a brilliant tool yeah but look at the number of cities right what is the la- uh, la- latest number which is about 4800 what's 4372 4372 yeah okay so that's 4372 i think out of this it's safe to assume that barring the 500 amrut cities yeah it, it, it's quite difficult to imagine you know te- uh, technology playing a a very big role unless you focus on the people part again having said that it doesn't mean that technology is not the way to go the point that i'm I, i guess i'm trying to make is that technology is brilliant but there has often been an ignorance of the people aspect plus the other policy aspect for instance if you are trying to now introduce a digital way of let's say collecting money yeah are you tweaking the law that was framed in 1956 let's say the municipal act of some state yeah. which says that you can use a register because then you are you are giving two options right you are giving somebody who is used to collecting on pen and paper i'm giving an example of yeah, particularly yeah. Of, let's say some revenue collection you're giving an option to that uh, let's say 55 year old gentleman or or lady to use whatever they are best used to yeah in that small city and they've been doing it since time immemorial because the law has that written now all of a sudden you have a digital system if you don't use it big deal you are at least adhering to the law so are we doing the ecosystem changes law policy people etc to make it happen is uh, is 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 something i think that is 
which is super critical to bringing in technology not to say that you shouldn't you should continue yeah. to but there is a need to focus uh, very heavily on what other i mean what more does digitization take and digitization is a is a big word right i yeah. would say there is one part is technology one part is people and there is a whole part of outside of this law and policy of change management yeah this is how do you make sure that every touch point of interaction beat citizens beat within the government each each client how are you managing these people uh, or, or the their knowledge attitude behavior change to be able to work this system efficiently which is now heavily driven by automation and tech that's uh, one thing that i've seen has been missing for a while but i'm not sure that's been missing for want of intent i think it again boils down to something that we keep calling out in a6 right that uh, our our cities in more often than not even our state governments run on steam Uh, while people may think that we have a lot of uh, government we barely have any government barely, yeah right we barely have our cities are incredibly understaffed and in in some ways i'm surprised they're running as well as they are yeah. you know with 30 40 50 percent vacancies so i'll stop with that long monologue and please do jump in <laughs> yeah so um i think there is i mean there is one problem of contextualizing digitalization of course because um you know there there, there is there, there is definitely even even in smart cities for example uh, in in our interactions we often hear that uh, some of the cities uh, are unable to actually get the right kind of professional service at all there is no interest and even if someone joins it's so difficult to retain them Yeah. at when we as we say that it's quite interesting that when a city like bangalore which is like the silicon valley of india when it amended its when it in, in fact overhauled its act so uh, in in 20 with the new bbmp act 2020 there is not even a single provision to use technology in governance i mean which is <laughs> which is really sad right i mean uh, if if bangalore cannot use it if bangalore couldn't bring out that change and that that's that's also a problem so i'm just saying that we need to be cognizant of both of these realities yeah, yeah. and uh, coming coming to the point that you specifically ma- mentioned about capacity uh, yes it's absolutely low uh, and every time you see a people uh, checking there is always this line and always i'll have i have to wait for any government thing i have to do but no one understands what is the capacity gap and then the amount of changes that keeps on coming in the ecosystem especially uh, any big city or medium size scale city if i am taking if they are tra- shifting to digitization then there is a capacity issue as well on lines of they don't know how to do it uh, so while there is 30 to 40% vacancy rates there is also more than that the amount of uh, learnings that they don't have yes ha- and that is where i feel something needs to happen and any any thoughts on those lines how that yeah no it's brilliant that you that you you picked that up and that like i said often it's it's the the conversation on people is missing in in uh, in a lot of how to say this in a lot of discussions around how to fix urban let me put it that way yeah. i think the the conversation on people and what you just called out is is in a, is i feel personally is is quite missing and i think the the reason for that is it's real it's too complicated a, a challenge i think that most people feel that they can solve and let me put it in 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 the how to say overlay it with the timeline of the key actors who are able to do this right there is the the political executive yeah. and there's a five year shelf life yeah then there is the ad bureaucratic or uh, let's say reform agent i'm yeah. calling the bureaucratic re- reform agent because not everybody in bureaucracy 
wants to reform system they i mean some some choose to firefight because that's the order of the day some choose to do a, a little bit of systems and mostly delivery of services and goods fair enough there are there are very few people who are uh, systems reform agents within the bureaucratic circles let me put it that way and uh, their lifespan is between 1 to 2 to 3 years right how many yeah. bureaucrats can you name who stayed in a department for 7 8 9 years and the sort of time that we need to transform this this the people uh, issue and the capacities and the business process reengineering issue at scale is in the order of tens uh, of years so it might take 10 years it might take 20 years like janagra has been around for what now two decades uh, it's been it's taken constant pushing for us to to sort of get to a place where now in india we are looking at uh, at least having audited accounts come out of india cities some of which are size of some of the world's largest companies they still are not able to get out third party audited uh, accounts right so this takes time and so i'm just putting in the timeline concept what is realistic to uh, imagine but the problem on capacities i i largely see are fourfold one is number you don't have the right number of people second is kind you don't have the right kind of people for a particular post or for for a particular problem to be solved what is the sort of expertise that you need are you able to acquire those and the ecosystem which is do you have the public service commission do you have lateral hiring all of that the third system the third issue within uh, staffing is so do you have adequate performance management uh, yeah. systems which is how do you hold each of your employees accountable to whatever task it is that's been assigned to them yeah by by whichever layer be be the administrative layer be the political economy and then the fourth is how's the org structure yeah is your org structure tuned to deliver in an efficient agile manner given that cities are incredibly complicated you need to have a structure that is able to respond like this yes. right because something can go wrong here and some some you know 10 year project continues uh, needs to happen all the time uh, therefore are you tuned to that so these four problems exist because of which there is incredible inst- there is an issue of institutional memory right so going back to the tech angle even if a state implements a great tech product right let's say on accounting or on some procurement etc through a vendor it's it often doesn't get institutionalized outside of the life cycle of the rfp yeah. let's say you have a five year agreement to say we will implement this system and some kpmg ui comes and does it great now but the state does not have institutional memory to be able to f- learn from that and do a plus plus on their own the next time so they are logged into this cycle of getting external support and doing it which i mean to be honest that's not the worst thing to happen but in the process it's very difficult for them to build institutional memory at scale that's something that that uh, i think i think is missing and that's like i said it's a it's a long challenge right right from the second arc report in 20, 2006 maybe even 15 20 years ago uh, this has been highlighted by several people but that that it remains to be something that we are solving the one thing i'd like to point out is it's there uh, are glimpses of hope because a lot of people have started saying that this is the bottleneck so if puneet is the commissioner of a city it doesn't matter that let's say the cm of the state has a grand vision to make the city the best place because if puneet is not able to do his job or if vivek is a commissioner or let's say the engineer who is not able to do a good rfp yeah then uh, you know your, your project gets stuck for two years in some litigation some days because contract management is not happening so there is recognition of this and there are there are small steps that people are taking if you look at the 15th finance commission report that just came out there is mention of something called a municipal shared uh, uh, services and a data center for which i think the the 15th fc has parked some money that is their effort to sort of encourage states to figure out 
how to solve this staffing issue yeah why media obviously you have to do you can't get around the fact that you need this big change but what is the why media there are there are some encouraging signs happening in india around that so much i need thoughts you have on this no i think vivek has covered it well nothing to add thank you for listening to part 1 of this episode next week we'll come up with the part 2 and continue our conversations here's a sneak peek for the same if government can't do it who else like people always think that government coffers are always full and we have enough money and we have everything that can be done uh, is possible if you don't have resources who has you have been listening to understanding the future podcast to know more about climate center for cities check out our website www.niua.org/c-q the show is conceptualized produced and edited by punit gandhi senior associate at cq you can now subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel it can be accessed through the credits also don't forget to follow us on our social media for more updates do share your reviews with us and help us spread the podcast to your friends and colleagues do write to us if you would be interested in learning about any specific topics thank you and stay tuned for our next episode